In John Milton's Paradise Lost, Satan tells us that it's better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. But judging from how much we've seen him portrayed on both big and small screen, the devil has no aversion to serving a story. Why do we see the devil so often on our entertainment, and what's the significance about how he's portrayed? Hi, I'm Paul Acey, filling in for Adam Holtz this week. We're knee-deep in the scary season where horror movies lurk around every corner. The devil or his minions show up in many of them. Sometimes he's a red-horned monster, sometimes he's a suave tempter. And more often than not these days, it seems he's showing up as a good guy. What does the entertainment industry's fascination with the Infernal say about it and us? We'll be batting that around today. Then we'll talk with our own Adam Holtz about Taylor Swift's concert film, The Eras Tour, which is hoping for an enchanted run in theaters worldwide. The movie, which hardly anyone knew about before Swift announced it in August, uh, is already upending the film industry with its weird distribution model. But is it worth the ticket price? Adam will tell us whether it's gorgeous or whether we should shake it off. But first, let's dig into our devilish conversation with Jonathan McKee, Kennedy Unthank, and Kristen Smith. Hello. Welcome. Hi. Hey. <laughs> Hi. So we'll just dive right into our main topic of conversation with our icebreaker. Let's do it. Um, obviously, we've seen a lot of depictions of devils in movies. We've also seen a lot of really evil people that could be akin to the devil, you might say. The devil might give them a big thumbs up. So I ask you, what is the most diabolical character you have seen on screen? The most diabolical? I mean, that's that's a lot. Most diabolical? I mean, there's a lot. Of, that, that's a huge choice. The I mean, most about that one. diabolical. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. My first thought was to Schindler's List, you know, Ralphie and his, you know, terrible character, Eamon. I mean, Obviously, you know, I mean, horrible man, you know, killing people and everything he was doing. But it's interesting because I think a lot of people probably relate to the more everyday that they encounter, you know, here in comfortable America. Hmm. So I, I don't know why, but for some reason I thought of like a typical like 13 going on 30 where little Jenna is growing up and she's got that Lucy who's this terrible bully who's mean to her. And then <laughs> and then when she grows up, the grown up Lucy is her backstabbing boss who like lies <laughs> and like deceives her. And, and it because every day that just feels like the worst thing in the world to young people. So mm -hmm. that, that's kind of where my thoughts went from the from the true horrible whatever to kind of the horrible we experience every day. No, that's, that's interesting. That's yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, I think it's based on like when I think diabolical, I don't just think like, oh, he's the bad guy because he's evil. But it's more of like, what are the motives behind his mm. his or her yeah. villainy? Um, and so that's why I'm throwing out Ben Linus from Lost because oh, wow. uh, Ben good. Linus is like uh, somewhat relatable, I'd mm -hmm. say, which mm -hmm. makes him even more diabolical in my opinion because I'm like, ooh, I kind of like him. Yeah. But yeah. I don't want to, you know. Um, and he's got all these plans and he's got all these schemes and like he backstabs his own allies and all this stuff and he always ends up on top and you're like, oh, I can't wait to get him, you know. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, my wife actually really disagrees with me because I actually like the character so much because he is so well written as a bad guy. Yeah, yeah. He is such a creep and he's sneaky. Mm -hmm. That is, I remember when I was watching Lost, he was the guy who I could not turn away from. When yes. he was on yes. screen, 
you just had to see what awful thing he was going to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it made me really respect Michael Emerson as an actor. Yeah, yeah. Man, I'm going yeah, to watch yeah. it and, again. The poor, and poor Michael Emerson's never going to get the role of like, you know, you know <laughs> the, the lover. The, he's always going to get those weird Steve Buscemi roles, you know. Yeah, like he's that, never going to get the Steve Carell roles. Never. Yeah, man, yeah. this is difficult to like pinpoint. I had two examples come to mind, and one was the um, the slave master from Twelve Years a Slave. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Um, yeah it's almost impossible to watch stuff like that mm-hmm. because it's just so horrendous and it yeah. happened, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's worse. <laughs> like as Jonathan said, like you have these real examples. But then I went to a very, I guess, obvious one, and it was um, American Horror Story. And it's difficult because you can't really choose any one of them because they're all terrible. (laughs) terrible. I watch stuff like that. I'm like, who sits around thinking about this stuff? And then they write it and produce it. And there was one in particular that I had to review, and it was this guy. You're welcome. Yes, thank you, Paul. In case anyone wants to know any of the cool (laughs) reviews you read on Plugged In, Paul gets to write those, and then he leaves the other stuff to us. But anyway, so I'm watching this one episode, and it's this guy who owns a toy factory, and he lures these women, seduces them, and then they wake up in his, like, creepy little live dollhouse, and then they have to perform all these weird, like, acts in order to live and if they don't they die in terrible ways oh my i had goodness. to watch that for 45 minutes and it was man. terrible oh but it, you know what i mean so like you have something like 13 going on 30 all the way to you know the typical horror stuff that we're talking about mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's a there are so many really good bad characters right and i don't know what it is about evil that just sort of draws us in in some ways when we're talking about those characterizations but for me you know, the the guy who I immediately think of, and this will come as no surprise, I'm sure Adam is going to be rolling his eyes. I'm already somewhere. feeling it coming. <laughs> the Joker. Yeah. Heath yeah. Ledger's Joker in The Heath Dark Ledger, Knight. Yeah, was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the reason why he feels so diabolical, like if you mix the Joker, that Heath Ledger's Joker in with, say, Ben Linus, you know, that sneaky, mm-hmm. oily uh, yeah. seducing character, yeah. then I think you would have pretty much the epitome for evil. But but for the Joker, for me, that portrayal was just so nihilistic. Mm-hmm. And yet, even in that destructive capacity, he was so charismatic. I yeah. mean, he became the, the most unrelatable character that so many people embraced. Yeah. And that was kind of creepy. No, and yeah, I think was... I think that's what really gets at it for me is the charisma. Mm-hmm. It's like if you are super charismatic to the point where it's like, I disagree with everything you're saying, but man, I can understand how you got a following. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, that's evil. You know, that you could yeah. actually convince so many normal people to just start following your cause because you're so charismatic. Yeah. 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 And that's terrifying. It is terrifying. And I think that that's kind of a good springboard into our conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Because when we read the Bible, when we understand what the real Satan is like, the real Lucifer is like, we know that he was once the most beautiful of angels. We know that throughout the Bible, he uh, encourages people down the wrong path. He is, he is definitely sort of that seducer, Right. Mm -hmm. But as time has gone on, and particularly in the the late 1900s, the devil that we saw kind of within popular culture changed quite a bit. 
right? Yeah. All of a sudden, he became this this character. He was red. He wore these red tights. He carried a pitchfork. He had, you know, the goatee, uh, the whole bit. So he, he became sort of what we picture as, quote unquote, the devil. Yeah. Kennedy, I know you've done a little bit of research on that. How did that change come about? Yeah. Uh, so one of the big things is that the early church did understand Satan to be a real threat. Um, and uh, if you read like the uh, non-canonical uh, epistle of Barnabas, they talk about how he's the ruler of the world, which is what it says in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it goes on throughout like the Middle Ages, you start to see this uh, newer development of kind of, okay, well, Satan's biggest issue is his pride. You know, he he, he fell from heaven because he was so proud of himself. So what if we kind of make a caricature of him, you know, make him look like a fool and that'll make him flee from us. That way we won't even be tempted by him because he'll look so dumb (laughs) that we're not going to even be concerned about him. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you start to see these kind of humorous depictions. They also would like to depict him as uh, various pagan deities because paganism is obviously Mm -hmm. anti-Christian. They would also depict him in some cases as... Uh, various uh, biblical animals that are frequently used to describe uh, bad things like frogs or goats or snakes. Um, And so what really happens is that they strip him of this idea that he's this beautiful angel, that Mm -hmm. he's uh, appearing as this angel of light. And they're just making him into into what he really is uh, morally, which is grotesque. Mm -hmm. Um, And that really uh, culminates in a 19th century play called Faust, uh, in which there's a like devilish character, uh, Mephistopheles, mm-hmm. who uh, wears these silly red tights and he has this goatee and he wears these like funny little horns. And that depiction really took off. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's That's fascinating. It is fascinating, you know, and I, I think that in some ways as we look at how the devil is portrayed in modern media um, – it's sort of – even though we sort of still picture the devil as that horned, red-skinned mm-hmm. character, you were mentioning that he feels a little more realistic nowadays in some of his depictions. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of more modern horror movies for the sake of both horror, thrill, whatever, you, yeah. what have you, um, they're trying to up the scare factor. Mm. Right. You know? And so I think in, in some ways in doing that, they're actually providing a more realistic depiction of what it would be like to be attacked by the devil, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, where you have these people who are, like, gruesomely hurt, mm-hmm. or they are put into these horrific situations, or they are oppressed by some deity that they cannot see, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is closer, at the very least, to the more biblical definition of kind of how Satan operates than, you know, the more the more the humorous one from yeah. from the Middle Ages where he's got the pitchfork and he's helping out God in hell by actually hurting the the people who sinned against God and, you know, this, this caricature that you don't see at all in the Bible. Yeah, mm. yeah. So according to a Gallup poll, about 58% of people now believe in the devil, which is an all-time low. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're still seeing so much of him in entertainment, on mm-hmm. television and movies. Mm-hmm. Uh why, if so many Americans don't believe in him, why does he still have that hold on popular culture? I think something that Kennedy said 
seemed really true, just that when you take Satan and you make him humorous or you give this light air to him, you can add him to anything. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of mm-hmm. what gives everything its edge. So it's like really a lot of people have an issue with these like really pure characters. Let's just like add this like little edge to them. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a lot of what you see. You see it in music videos. You see it in TV shows. Um, it's something that I think allows people to feel more relatable or they like that darker side because yeah. everyone has thoughts like that or whatever. Um, and I think that is widely incorporated in what we see now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree, and I have two extra points to add on to that. I think the first is that uh, there's been kind of a resurgence of this anti-hero trope. Yeah, mm-hmm. that very much so. Where you know, in the olden days, you know, <laughs> people would say this is good, this is bad. There's no in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and now there's more of a like, yeah. well, let's look at the nuance. And so that's extending to everything, that's good, where Daddy. you see a lot of stuff where. I mean, uh, in Supernatural, the TV show, yep. they pretty much all would say, well, God's actually not that good. Yeah. And they yeah. say, well, actually, the devil's mm. actually, he's not that bad. You know, he, they, they have these reasons for what they do, you know. Uh, and you start to see this kind of blurring of the lines. I think the, the second big reason is you start to see, like, Satan being put in the same realm, Satan and devils being put in the same realm as, like, goblins and ghouls and, and all these other, like, folk tale kind of beasts and mm-hmm. so when you put them on the same level as these mythological creatures I, I think you start to see this like oh well if the Loch Ness monster isn't real then Satan's probably not real either so there's no harm in doing this yeah yeah it becomes sort it's of fair game to yeah. sort of play with a little bit mm-hmm. you know another thing that I think sometimes goes on within our popular culture I think we tend to like to think of ourselves as kind of rebels, right? Yeah. Nobody tells us what to do. We do our own thing. <laughs> I don't know why I'm looking at you when I, when I say that. <laughs> I was wondering <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> but I, I do think that there's some truth to that, right? We we like to be thought of as individualistic. And mm-hmm. in some ways, yeah. if you're not worried about a real devil, he becomes sort of this this emblematic character of of individualism, right? Yeah. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And so he becomes a little more attractive, you know, mm. to, to a lot of the culture. Yeah. Which I think That's actually you had mentioned uh, John Milton mm-hmm. and Paradise Lost, I think, was kind of like the first semi-dive into that. Where, where Milton, I mean, at the very end did clarify, it's like, no, he's evil. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. But there was an allure mm-hmm. in Paradise Lost of like this, this pseudo yep. hero who's like, well, hold on. I want to I want to go you can go your own way, you right. know. Right. And and I I think that's really the start of it and it, it's just continued from there. Well, I think, yeah. I think you also touched on something else though too cuz you're like, "Oh, well, in this show, you know, we see the devil portrayed this way, or in this show God is portrayed bad." And I think it's kind of the power of entertainment that, you know, they're the ones who are almost governing how we should see something. I mean, and you think back to like, gosh, the 1500s when Michelangelo was painting, you know, the Sistine Chapel, there was that guy, I can't remember his name, who told the Pope that, you know, that, oh, this isn't, you know, 
this isn't fit for a chapel. It's, you know, it would be better on a tavern wall or whatever. So Michelangelo painted his face as the devil, you know, that guy, <laughs> that critic, you know, and so, so how could, contr- and now forevermore, that's who we see as the devil, you know, this critic, you know? Um, so, I mean, it is funny how powerful that medium is. And, and mm-hmm. you think of shows now that like mockery shows that we've reviewed of where there's an angel and a devil and always the devil's the cool one and the angel's the like tight, uptight, you know, mm-hmm. prude right. yep. and stuff. So there's this kind of subtle message that people are grown up with thinking, oh, you know, kind of focusing on, well, God's this guy who allows all this pain where the devil wants us to do whatever we want. <laughs> yeah, cool. That's true. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of control with entertainment media. Yeah. You know, and I wanted to ask you, Jonathan, you are talking with parents all the time. I know that, that probably the biggest concern is really just screens, not Satan. But do you have parents who are worried about their kids diving into some of these these more occultish, more devilish shows. Do you hear any concerns like that when you're around talking? Honestly, not as much. And it's, it's kind of interesting because we've had a shift in entertainment media to where a decade ago, so much of it was what lyrics are our kids listening to? And yep. what are these you know TV shows where they're absorbing all this? But now, I mean, it's so hard to even keep track because everything is on this little device they're carrying in their pocket and most of it's social media. And honestly, the biggest concerns right now at the forefront for parents is screen time, um, predators, mm. um, you know, social media's effect on self-esteem. Honestly, the devil's probably sitting back with his feet up on the desk, smoking <laughs> a cigar going, done. Thank you, TikTok <laughs> yeah. and Instagram. You know, I mean, it's like, and, and that's where the focus is. That's where the worry is. Not a lot of people are worried about the fact that, you know, Jack Black is saying that metal is cool. Yay. And doing the devil <laughs> sign, you know, which used to be a worry for some parents. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I don't want to go too much down this road because it feels like a little bit of a stretch. But when you think about the appeal of the screens, you know, a, a lot of times these phones do a lot of what the devil used to do in older style entertainment, right? It lures you into places that you don't want to go. It detracts. It pulls you away from your family, your friends even. Uh, It can take you down some deeper, darker rabbit trails and sort of twist you, corrupt you in a way. And and that's not to say that, that screens themselves are bad, but you can see how that can be sort of a gateway where mm. where it can lead to some really bad things. Yeah, I think too, and this is kind of part of entertainment because we see um, – we see the devil depicted like in Lucifer. Mm-hmm. And this is a show that we've reviewed um, a few times. But Satan is charming, attractive. And the hero. And the hero. And he's helping this cop solve cases, right? And he's, you know, I mean, everybody wants to be with him. And they, they do get with him. And so you have this character that is really relatable. And like Jonathan was saying, God's the prude. That's like, no, I have standards. And he's like, but come on. Um, but you see this, right? And it's you see this pull of like, it's really not that bad. Here's my gray area. Here's my nuance. And this can this can relate to phones or screens or any kind of device because media is setting the tone of if it's just not that big of a deal. And mm. I think that's kind of where it lands. Like it's just calm down. Everyone just chill out. It's not that big of a deal. You yeah. are making it a bigger deal than it is. And I felt. Speaking of Satan kicking his feet up and smoking a cigar, like I feel like that's kind of where the devil's sort of done his job because in Western culture, we're so numb to all of this. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes a part of everything that we do where you go somewhere else and you can see, like you starkly see the spiritual 
I, I've watched people be exercised of demons. Like you, you see how it flips, mm-hmm. but here we're just all like numbed by the yeah. devices and the entertainment that we have. And it's not that big of a deal to people. And I think that if you can land there, then everything else just seems like it's just too serious, you know? Yeah. 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 So that's our summary of the screw tape letters. Um, <laughs> Truly. Just kidding. Um, however, uh, I do think one of the most interesting things is that there is, even though, you know, you had previously cited that there's an all time low for belief in a real devil. Um, it's still interesting that there's such an appeal for these supernatural mm-hmm. movies. Totally, yeah. That there's still mm-hmm. a pull in even secular human hearts for something greater, even if that greater thing happens to be evil. You know? Right. Uh, and and the, so obviously the way I'm using greater is in, is in the supernatural sure, sense. Right, not right, in right. Sure. But it really, I think it really points to uh, still an inherent desire. And, you know, I'm sure any atheist listening to us would probably disagree with me. But I think it shows the fact that these movies still do so well. It shows there's an inherent desire for something greater than ourselves. And I do think that there's still an element of fear. I mean, Doja Cat just came out with a video that everyone's been talking about for a while. And she is dressed like a demon and this song is called demons and it's about her personal demons but i mean the video is dark and mm-hmm. there's a lot of reactions like a reaction videos to this these are people that aren't christians and they're the joke but they mean it the second they turn it on they see an image they like throw their computer and smash it and they like go hide in the corner because they i feel like they, they're understanding that they're playing with something that's not to be messed with. Well, and I think that that comes down to in our very secular, very scientific base society, right? I think that we are all coming to a greater understanding that there are things that science just can't explain. Yeah. You know, and there are deeper realities out there. That that idea of there's something deeper, there's something greater, there's something higher. Yeah. And even when you see some of these supernatural portrayals of evil, uh Oftentimes, there's a supernatural good counterpoint to that. Yeah. Mm. There's something that is greater than that evil that you trust in to, to vanquish that that evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that those stories still appeal to us on a deeply spiritual heart level. Yeah. And, and I want to give a, a real quick just a, a quote from C.S. Lewis about this topic. He says, that there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about devils. I said one is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's something that we have to, I think that's the application we can have right. on this today is that's that good. whether or not you believe in the devil like he's he's going to do his work. Right. If you don't believe in him, he'll be very pleased with you. <laughs> and if you do believe in him, but you are so obsessed with him that he's tormenting you yeah. on a daily basis, you know, he's going to be equally pleased with you. So, let me riff off of that and this will be our last question for this conversation. But, you know, the the CS Lewis quote makes me mindful, you know, mm-hmm. paying too much attention to the devil. Is there an argument that we shouldn't depict Satan at all in in movies, in TV shows, or mm. does his portrayal serve a purpose? What do you guys think? I don't, this is a difficult question because, in my opinion, I mean, this is what makes good literature. 
Mm-hmm. There's good and evil. Mm-hmm. And it's the battle between them and it's the rise of the good. I mean, we have been saved. What from, right? There is there there will always be that depiction. And I think there's a necessity for that depiction because we have to know that both exist and both are very real. And no one wants to read a book that is all bad with no hope. And really, no one wants to read a book that's like all hope and there's no trial, right? Like there's Mm -hmm. no error. There has to be that pull. And there always has been. I think that's what kind of sets the groundwork for where we are. Yeah. And I think it's scary how much in entertainment media today, the blending of good and evil. And on one hand, they say, well, life is messy. And look, let's be authentic. We're all, you know, evil at heart or whatever. And sure, I mean, that's a whole different subject. But when when the good guys are the bad guys, so to speak, um, you know, when we see like, you know, the movie is about a hitman and that's the, you know, and let's go follow him as he goes around killing people and, and he's the good guy. You know, uh, that, that's where it kind of starts to get a little scary. There's the, the, hey, you know what? Is it really evil? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree with all that. Um, I think, I don't think there's really any issue in depicting evil um, in movies, obviously. And when I say evil, I do mean Satan and devils and stuff. Um, I think we need to be clear on a couple things because this is Christian and for lack of a better word, it's Christian lore, mm-hmm. which means you got to respect the source material. Right. Um, <laughs> source material says that they lose. Source material <laughs> yeah. says they're not good. Yep. Uh, source material <laughs> says that these beings are crafty, that they are the gods and ruler of this world, that they are out to sift you like wheat and that they are out to devour you like a roaring lion, and that no matter what they may say to you, ultimately, their their role is to destroy you. Um, and so when we think about that, and we think about how they're portrayed in modern day, I, I stop appropriating Christian literature if you don't know it. <laughs> um, but I think we got to get to this point that Christianity says that good triumphs over the evil. It says that these things are evil and they will be destroyed. And so I think the error we make in some of these movies is that we say, well, I, either you have a horror movie where it ends with the person being destroyed by these things and there's no hope and it's it, this insinuation that you're gone, which to be fair, if you're not a believer, that is how it is going to end. Yeah. So here's the gospel presentation real quick. <laughs> um, if you're a Christian, you will through God, triumph over these things. Uh, They will not take you down. Um, And that is something that we really need to understand is that God is going to destroy these things. They will be thrown into the lake of fire and there will be no more evil. And we need to stop calling evil good and good Good evil. evil. That's That's a great place. man. Yeah, yeah, mic drop. So uh, that brings this conversation to an end. I think it was a really good one. Thank you so much, guys. All right. For our second segment, we are joined by the one and only Adam Holtz. Hello, Paul. Hello, Adam. How are are you? you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing so well. And I'm especially well because we're going to be talking about some person named Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. In fact, that is who we are talking about today. <laughs> so thank you for having me on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so essentially the Eras Tour, Taylor Swift's the Eras Tour, yeah. uh, has been 
torching the box office. Yes. It has become already the biggest concert movie of all time. Yep. Um, and you have seen it how many times now? I've only seen the movie once. Okay. Yeah. But, but you... I actually went to the tour as well. All right. All right. Which so... maybe gives me credibility or maybe undermines my credibility, <laughs> well, which is actually kind of how I want to frame the conversation today. Well, it's, right? I, I think that's a really good way to begin. And, and just, to, just to preface this, you do have two teenage daughters. I do. So, I do. And that is really Taylor Swift's main... Um, main audience. It is. I mean, certainly at this point, it's hard to believe she's been around 17 years. So she's done 10 albums in 17 years. And if you're wondering, why is it called the Eras Tour? She could have called it the Albums Tour. It probably would have just been weird, <laughs> right? Eras makes it yeah. sound a little bit more... It does. More big. Yeah. It's more big. Biggish. Biggish. So she decided to do this tour where she does 10 different mini sets essentially with songs from each of those eras. Wow. And, and she's you, changing outfits during the entire time. She right? changes outfits repeatedly. I mean, I, I've been to a lot of concerts. I've seen my share of concert movies as well. And I'll probably kind of talk about them as one and the same. Um, this was a remarkable experience. And she, I, you know, I think she's, we're at peak Taylor right now. Now, maybe mm. she plateaus, maybe she goes a little higher. Who knows? I can't imagine that she's going to want to do a tour like this again. Um, so obviously this has been, I think, the pop culture story, maybe competing with Barbie a little bit in the last year or so, because mm. ticket prices for the concert were so absurd if you didn't, you know, win the lottery, so to speak, and be able to get tickets, which my family, we were able to, but we were the lucky ones, right? So there were thousands and thousands and thousands of fans who were bitterly disappointed. And mm -hmm. Taylor, I'm... Because uh, either the tickets were too expensive right, or, or they, they couldn't were all get gone. Right. So I'm guessing Taylor, in cahoots with a really, really awesome marketing team, said, hey, I have an idea. Let's film this. And everybody else can go to. So um, the concert tour itself was 45 songs in about four hours, mm -hmm. which... Which is a long concert. It's a long concert. The movie itself is two hours and 46 minutes, and I believe it's 39 <laughs> songs. And I know that because my daughters were like, here's the six songs they cut from the set. Um, and so, you know, the hardcore Swifties know what's there and what's not. But I, I think, you know, I mentioned at the outset... I think for parents, it's kind of a glass half full, glass half empty sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And and just to throw readers back to your review, I thought yes. you did an excellent job walking through that half full, half empty scenario because you do have a lot of positives that you're dealing yep. with with Taylor Swift, right? You do. You do. And I think that she started out early in her career as very earnest, wide-eyed, relatively, well, really innocent. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. I know when she came out, because I was working here at the time, we're like, oh, wow, she just is a breath of fresh air. As often happens, things have gotten more complicated since mm -hmm. then. So you have some some sensual or suggestive things that have creeped in. The last couple albums have had a fair bit of profanity, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and so... She certainly is not squeaky clean, but I think even though she's had all the boyfriends and the tabloid mm. stuff going on, we still kind of see her as America's darling, right? you know, and right. even she's sort of dating 
Travis Kelsey of the Kansas City Chiefs right now. When she shows up at the game, she's as big a story as the game is, right? Sometimes bigger. Sometimes bigger. And so um, there's just this fascination with her, and it feels like a throwback to a superstar age where we just don't have those sorts of bigger than life stars anymore. And for a lot of teen girls, I mean, the appeal here is enormous. Yeah. So, well, one of the things that we've talked about off the mics is really talking a little bit about how culture has changed and how it's so nichified, right? Everything is a niche. Taylor Swift feels like she is one of those stars that actually goes beyond, becomes sort of this, this cultural powerhouse. Yeah. And in some ways, I think that's kind of beautiful because it allows – I mean, I go back to the to the fact that you saw this with your teen daughters. Yeah. It becomes this link yeah. that, that families can in some ways share together. Yeah, I think so. And a lot of families are going to take a look at the content here. And, and we have friends even at church who are like, really? You're really going <laughs> to the Taylor Swift concert? Um, and then there are other Christian families that are going to be like – Of all the stuff out there right now, she's still less bad than a lot of it, which might sound like advanced rationalization 101 to some folks. So certainly there are any number of suggestive references, but she doesn't get as explicit as a lot of female stars get these days. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in some ways, one of the bigger issues here is that there are four F words in lyrics. In a PG-13 movie. In a PG-13 movie. And you and I, obviously, we cover movies for a living. And typically the rule is is two. And even two sometimes is too many. So I was a little bit surprised that, you know, four of them got through. Mm. Um, But I also understand how if you're the MPAA, Oh, maybe you make an allowance here. It's Taylor Swift. Come on. But that, everybody that, else makes allowances for Taylor Swift. Well, and that's right? the thing, right? I mean, I think it illustrates the issue right. of we know there are problems, but she's so likable. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what parents have to navigate. And so I think there are going to be families that are going to say, no, there's too much sensuality, there's too much profanity. There are a couple nods to LGBT things and even taking Christians to task in one song, um, you need to calm down. Mm. You know, she basically says, why are you being so critical of of gay people? So mm. uh, there's that to deal with. Some families are going to say, no, thanks. For other families are going to say, okay, we know there are issues. Our kids love this. I would say talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's really uh, the byword for us. The watch word is have a conversation. What do you like about Taylor? Where do you relate to her? How do these songs, these stories about relationship, because it's almost all about romance, right. either right. working or not working. Right, right. Uh, yeah. um, where do you connect with that? Yeah, it's a it is always a tricky thing. And in some ways, this feels like a microcosm of a lot of the issues that we deal yes. with all the time at Plugged In, right? Yep. Where you have some really, really strong positive elements. You have some, some potential connection possibilities. And yet you've got to wade through, on the other hand, all these difficulties. And it becomes, especially with Taylor Swift. Yeah navigating those two opposing sides can be very, very tricky. It can be tricky. And I think it's even more tricky if you have decided to say no. It's not unlike the smartphone and social media conversation. There are families that are holding the line. And and to them, I say, bravo. But understanding that even if you're holding the line, your kid's peers 
are probably all in on this. And so then you have a different set of issues that you have to navigate. And and again, I'm, I'm not trying to make an apology or a rationalization for Taylor Swift here. There's some real issues Mm -hmm. that, that I think are problems, right? But again, relative to so much of the rest of popular culture, she's still perceived. And I think rightly so as not being as bad as a lot of that other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I I go back to what you had said uh, just a little bit earlier and talk about it, right? Because this feels like a a fantastic place where we know that Taylor Swift is one of the biggest things in the culture right now. Your kids are going to be talking about her. Your teens are going to be talking about her. So it's one of those things that is out in the world now. Yep. And for you as a mom and dad to add your own voice to that conversation, whether you decide to see it or not, I think that that's a really important thing. You need to add your voice to the conversation. Yeah, just I want to end on just a quick story here. I think we're we're close to wrapping up this segment, but I was talking with my daughter the other day and I asked her, I think I asked her, you know, what what do you really connect with with Taylor Swift? And she's like, "Dad, you asked me that question last week. <laughs> okay. I won't bug you with more questions about Taylor Swift. <laughs> Thank you so much, Adam. Really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Paul. And now it is time for Pop Culture Connection, where our wonderful producer, Ashley. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Felt like Adam there for a minute. <laughs> She asks us questions. We have to respond with as many answers as we can within 30 seconds. Um, and I guess we'll just drop, dive right in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Drop let's do the it. flag and let's go. Awesome. All right, Kennedy, you're up first. All right. All right. What is your favorite holiday and why? Ooh, well, as a Christian, I would say Easter. But I really do love the 4th of July, and it's not necessarily – it's not even because of uh, Independence Day, which I think is really cool. Um, However, I I just really – I love barbecue. I love burgers. I love being outside when it's still warm. I love fireworks. I love people coming over to eat burgers. I love uh, cornhole. I love – uh, you know, those little, like, the tractor that carries the trash cans oh, that are yes. cut out for the kids? Yes. That, those things are cool. How fun. That's awesome. That was not what I was expecting, but that's awesome. That feels like you even got in two answers and still a lot right? of answers under one. Yeah, well, I, I I felt like I had to do something because we're a Christian podcast. So I was like, well, I, I do really, really like Easter yes. just for what it represents. Absolutely. But in terms of, you know... Celebration. In terms of cornhole, like, you don't play cornhole it's on Easter. July, you don't eat barbecue on Easter, and no. that's a big issue for now. That's an issue. <laughs> wow, well, I got nine points. Good job. Nine Thanks. points. Wow, I think that's the most that was very good. Very good. You might give Jonathan a run for his money, but we'll see. Is Jonathan right. going to go next? No. <laughs> don't look at me like that. I already you are going next. <laughs> okay. All right. Instant anxiety. You got this. <laughs> okay. All right. You open your front door to the world of your favorite book. Where are you and what do you aim to do there? Middle Earth. Um, but I'll probably, I'd like to kind of have like a hobbit hole, right? And I think it needs to be like layered with books. And I would like a special ring as well, but I would like it to have different powers. Um, and I would like a my own little cape. Not not as big a feat, right? Um, I want to meet a bunch of dwarves and 
like manly men that can help me along mm-hmm. my trail. Um, I would like to rescue some kind of treasure, defeat a dragon. Um, I would like my name to get written in the books, right? And I would, oh man, I had so much fun. Awesome. Pretty good. There we go. Very Never cool. knew you wanted a cape. I too. How fun. And I want to ring, I mean, but with different But only exist. in this we, world. We Let's can just get you clarify. a cape. Yeah. In, 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 the, in the context. And you're surrounded by manly men in this studio. Man, that can help man, you man. retrieve a treasure. I forgot that one. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no I am not a manly man, not just yet. to be clear. <laughs> oh. Awesome. Very cool. Well, I got nine for that, too. So. Oh, no. So we're tied. Wow. All right, Kennedy. All right. Jonathan, you are up. Oh, here it is. Oh, man. Your question is, who do you consider to be the best movie character from the 90s and why? From the 90s. Okay, we're going to definitely go with Lucy from While You Were Sleeping because she, you know, gives power to women. She's that single woman, but yet she loves romance, but yet she's got power to, you know, uh, resist Joe Jr. Um, She's adventurous. (laughs) She has a passport. She wants to travel. Um, She is sympathetic character, but she's also strong. She's a strong worker. She works for the, you know, you know, the, the. The L system there in Chicago. She lives in Chicago. That's the thing for herself. She loves pizza. She loves yes, hot dogs. Yes. <laughs> they always up. forget yes. our order. Time's up, Jonathan. Uh, he won. Oh. I he won. do love that movie. That was like 12. I never saw that movie. I got 10. 10. Oh, you got 10? Oh, man. <gasps> oh, I was down to you. I was rooting for Paul, a three-way please. tie here. Speak quickly. Please, Paul. Redeem us. <laughs> All right. You need to see that movie, by the way. It's a really good What one. is it called? While You Were Sleeping. While You Were Sleeping. Yes. It sounds like, it's like some sort of horror movie. It does. It's, it's my sleeping? wife's favorite movie of all time. Huh. It's a really good Christmassy type movie. It's so cute. So it, it is really good. Really all right. sweet. All right. Great lines. Very quotable. Yes. All right, Paul. All right, I'm ready. Saturday morning, as a kid, you get up before anyone else in your house. What cartoon do you choose and why? You know, I would choose the Herculoids because the Herculoids has a really cool uh, rhinoceros thing that shoots things out of its its little nose. It has a big dinosaur that throws flame. It has a nice little family that sort of hops around and saves the world, whatever world they're on. It has Gleep and Gloop, I think is their name. So Gleep and Gloop. Wow. Uh, they are little little blur blobs that just sort of hop around and do something. But they can stretch really cool, which is awesome. Cool. Nice. Yes. Nine points. Jonathan oh, wins. Man. Jonathan wins. Jonathan wins. among the rest of you. Good job. I think this is a collective record. This is yeah. a collective record. Yeah. This is? That's, this has got to go down in history as the closest pop nine, culture nine, ten. What did, what did Kristen, how many did Kristen get? Like I had nine. Cumulative high score. Three hundred twenty-seven. Thirty. Thirty-seven collective points? That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that, that Kennedy, Kristen, and I are going to combine points and we win. No. Okay. It's <laughs> a different way to view things. <laughs> Done. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We loved spending time with you. This was a lot of fun, and we'd like to invite you to spend even more time with us. First, check out our very own Plugged In Show Aftercast on Friday afternoons now, 4 p.m. Mountain Time on Instagram. Uh, We'll be talking about this week's show and looking ahead to the movies to come. And, of course, we'll be answering your questions live And there's plenty of other ways to connect with us, too. You can check us out on Facebook, 
Instagram, or you can even leave us a voice message on our very own plugged in page. Just click the tab, look for the microphone, and you can just speak to us directly. Uh, and tell us what you think about our conversations. Uh, what do you think about devilish portrayals in entertainment? Are you interested in seeing, or have you already seen, Taylor Swift's The Eras Tour in the movie theater? Let us know your thoughts. And no matter what, of course, join us again next week when we meet again for another episode of The Plugged In Show. As a parent, it's easy to find myself sitting backseat to my kids in the backseat. It's tough to be a step ahead. In full honesty, I'm pretty hard on myself when that happens. But I've found Practice Makes Parent, a podcast from Focus on the Family, hosted by Dr. Danny Huerta and Rebecca St. James. It helps me be more intentional and not feel alone when things get tough. Everything they share is practical and well-practiced, and I can use it right away. Listen to Practice Makes Parent wherever you get your podcasts.